Hi, welcome to Monocular, a storytelling podcast where I offer you a one-eyed look at the distant and not-so-distant past. Thanks for tuning in. If you listened to the two-part episode of Monocular about the Beach Boys, you might recall that I explained how that whole thing took on a life of its own and kept on growing, which is why I had to split that story up in two. To follow it up, I thought I'd write a regular, single episode about the time I spent calling myself Satanist during my late teens. That story, however, took on a life of its own to an even sillier degree than the Beach Boys story did. Because of that, I had to split this story up as well, and not just into two episodes, but three. However, the resulting three-part story is one of my most favorite monocular stories so far, and I really hope you'll be into it too. One reason I like it so much is that I had even more fun than usual making the music for this, which is largely a tribute to Marilyn Manson, who, quite predictably, was my hero during my Satanist years. As such, I've done my best to set the mood for the story you're about to hear. It's a story of a white middle-class teenage boy in Denmark who is surprisingly ripe for taking a stand against the hypocrisy of Christianity. Monocular is written, performed, recorded, and produced by me, Mikkel Elbeck. Check out monocularpod.com to get all the information you'd want about the show. If you like the show, you can also support the ongoing production of Monocular by becoming a patron for as little as $2 a month. Of course, subscribing to the show and giving it a five-star review is also much appreciated. Monocular is a Torahtown StoryWorks production, and for more information about the company, a one-stop shop for all kinds of storytelling, please visit torahtown.com. And with that out of the way, let's get to the story. Here's part one of this three-part episode, which is entitled, Yes, Today's Satan. was a random evening in the spring of 1998. I was 16 years old, still living with my parents, and I was close to finishing off ninth grade. In Denmark, that's the last year of public school, and after that, I would be starting my three years of high school. This particular evening, I was casually hanging out with my mom and my big brother. We were all kind of doing our own thing, and I myself was reading an article in the soon-to-be-defunct Zoo magazine about artists that were Satanists. The article focused on Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson in particular. In the middle of reading the article, I uttered a sentence that ended up significantly changing the trajectory of my philosophical journey in this world. I said, I really like Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson. I just wish they weren't Satanists. Now, I was brought up Lutheran Protestant as a denomination of the National Church of Denmark. But the thing is, it's very much about tradition and very little about religious practice. In fact, when it comes to religion, Denmark is almost the mirror opposite of the United States. In the U.S., there is no national church, 
but religion plays a huge role in people's lives. In politics, and God is mentioned in all kinds of contexts in which he technically doesn't belong. That is, if the United States was to act as a proper secular nation. In Denmark, however, there is a national church, but religion plays a very minimal role in politics and society as a whole. Still, most holidays are Christian, and Danes happily celebrate Easter, Pentecost, Christ Ascension Day, the Day of Great Prayer, Christmas, and what have you. But it's generally not to worship Christ. It's more about getting time off of work and usually celebrating with a pile of delicious food, schnapps, and beer. At least for Easter, and especially leading up to Christmas. Every weekend in December, if you're lucky. Also, in Denmark, kids are baptized shortly after they're born and confirmed when they're around 14. Weddings are typically in churches, as are funerals. The ceremonies and rituals are all very Christian in nature, and Jesus and God is mentioned all the time. Yet most Danes calmly seem to view it as simply tradition. It's not so important whether or not you're a true believer, or whether you attend church services outside of those that mark when someone's been born, is getting married, or has passed away. The songs are nice, and, by and large, the message of Christ is a kind and inspiring one, so you might as well go along with it. No need to stir up shit just for the heck of it. This, then, was my quote-unquote religious background. I'd been baptized, I'd been confirmed, and although I didn't really believe in God at all, I was still identifying with Christianity enough to wish that these American musicians didn't call themselves Satanists. I guess I expected my brother to say something like, yeah, me too. Surely he wouldn't be a big fan of them being Satanists either. But that's not what happened. Instead, he challenged me. He asked me what I actually knew about Satanism, why I minded the Nine Inch Nails in Marilyn Manson called themselves that. Quickly, I was stumped. I suppose I mainly associated Satanism with burning churches and spray-painting pentagrams on them, toppling graves over, sacrificing animals, and so on. As it turned out, there's a different kind of Satanism that I never heard about, an intellectual kind. The one started by a guy called Anton LaVey in 1966. My brother seemed to know a lot about this, and I was quite overwhelmed at first. Then he revealed to me why he knew so much about it. His new girlfriend was a Satanist. It didn't scare or upset me in the slightest that my brother was dating a Satanist. More than anything, it intrigued me. I needed to know more, and before long, my brother's girlfriend lent me her copy of the Satanic Bible, which was written by Anton LaVey, the founder of the Church of Satan. I eagerly read the book. It laid out an atheist view of the world, but also one that embraced Satan as a symbol of indulgence, vital existence, and vengeance, since these were the aspects of life that Christianity had labeled evil and thus associated with the devil. In LaVey's words, Satan represents all of the so-called sins as they all lead to physical, mental, or emotional gratification. In short, LaVey's version of Satanism is very much atheism with a layer of intense, devilish symbolism on top. The way Christians believe in God and Jesus, Levian Satanists do not believe in Satan. Instead, they believe in themselves. And the philosophy very much comes down to love thyself. But it's not just that. The goal, above all else, it seems, is to point out the hypocrisy of Christianity. The way in which you are made to feel bad about all the things in life that feel good, yet Christians are still pursuant of these things. But they hide it, lie about it, feel sinful, and ask forgiveness from God or a priest. 
LeVay wanted to do away with this and simply let man be a carnal being that was allowed to pursue physical, mental, and emotional gratification and to feel good about doing so. This all appealed very much to my 16-year-old self. I already wasn't a huge fan of the discrepancy between the role of the church in all of life's biggest moments and the limited extent to which people around me actually led their lives as if they believed in God. Also, I was very relieved that it didn't have anything to do with burning churches or other kind of vandalism, because that simply would never be my thing. Instead, it was an intellectual kind of rebellion, which I was clearly completely ripe for. My rebellion would consist of arguing against Christianity, of highlighting hypocrisy, of discussing the existence of God with anyone and everyone willing. Both my brother and his girlfriend were into Marilyn Manson as well, but in terms of Satanism, my brother never threw himself at it. I did, however, and for a while his girlfriend and I would have get-togethers, just the two of us, which we refer to as levee evenings. We'd put on black clothes, light black candles, listen to music, and read from the Satanic Bible, and discuss all the various topics that would surface under such circumstances. All strictly intellectual, but, in the spirit of Levian Satanism, there were plenty of darkly symbolic aspects to these hangouts, which gave them a very unique atmosphere that I can still recall more than two decades later and it felt great to have someone to share the journey with. A significant bonus in terms of succumbing to Satanism was that I could now listen to the aforementioned musicians without feeling bad about their beliefs. Naturally, Marilyn Manson rose up as the provider of the soundtrack to this new phase of my life. His latest album at the time was the one that made him one of America's most controversial musicians, Antichrist Superstar from 1996. Ten years prior, on his album Graceland, Paul Simon had sung that every generation throws a hero up the pop charts. I guess in 1996, the hero, or rather anti-hero, that America's youth needed was Marilyn Manson. He sings a similar line on his own album, though it has quite a different ring to it. The world spreads its legs for another star. Indeed it did, but it was odd being a Marilyn Manson fan in Denmark. On TV, you'd see an episode of the Jenny Jones talk show entitled Help Me, My Child Listens to Marilyn Manson, or something to that effect. In it, all these goth-looking teenagers would talk about why they thought Manson was fantastic, while the parents, with the audience on their side, would express their grave concerns about what was going on with their children. My experience couldn't have been more different. One day, my parents returned from a day trip that had involved a visit to a flea market. There, my mom had found a CD, which she had bought for me. As she gave it to me, she simply said, I got this for you. You like him, right? It was a Marilyn Manson CD, and specifically the Antichrist Superstar Remix and Repent EP, which, by the way, was an absolutely fantastic flea market find. At some point during my Satanist face, I came up with the idea that charity organizations were actually a bad idea. Not because the various causes weren't valid, but because individuals shouldn't be asked for money to support them. The government should just take care of them. My mom wasn't impressed with me, but instead of arguing with me or telling me off, she quietly wrote something down on a piece of paper and slid it towards me. I picked it up and I read what she had written in all caps, super egoist. And that kind of ended the discussion right there. My mom wasn't, and to my knowledge, still isn't, more religious than the average Dane, and I think she generally just let me go through the motions of my teenage rebellion. 
potentially relieved that it mainly meant that I was listening to Marilyn Manson a lot and would occasionally bounce various theories off of her. Mothers have lived through more troubling teenage rebellions than that, I think. Also, one of her main mantras has been that everything is allowed, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. I would say that this mantra most likely encouraged me to exercise common sense and critical thinking from an early age. At least, it was a very dogma-free environment to grow up in, and I'm very thankful for that. I share a lot of music taste with my mom, and today I can pride myself on having introduced her to artists and bands such as Leonard Cohen and Ward, The Handsome Family, and Bright Eyes. However, my 16-year-old self didn't have his music recommendation skills fully calibrated just yet. This became clear when I put together a mixed CDR for her, which had no less than three Marilyn Manson songs on it, including Man That You Fear from Antichrist Superstar. The central line in the song is that the boy you loved is the man that you fear. She clearly didn't fear me. She simply just loved me. Yet she didn't love a single of the Marilyn Manson songs I introduced her to. My dad was also very relaxed about everything I was getting into. I remember having a conversation with him about my fascination with Marilyn Manson. And to express it, I quoted a line from the opening track of Antichrist Superstar, which is called Irresponsible Hate Anthem. The line goes, I wasn't born with enough middle fingers. And I thought it was a damn cool line. The fact that you're so frustrated with the world that you don't have enough middle fingers to flip everyone off. My dad, however, was less impressed. My mom recently sent me a photo of my homemade artwork of the mix CD I had made for her. I had called it For Anne, which I had typed out on the very pink cover using a font where every letter was placed inside a heart. The whole thing was very lovely. The track listing also revealed that I wasn't all about Satanism and Marilyn Manson. In fact, it's one of the more schizophrenic mixed CDs I've ever put together, seeing as how I blended in songs by my other favorite bands, such as Guns N' Roses, Oasis, and The Smashing Pumpkins. Alongside Money Python's I Like Chinese and I've Got Two Legs, as well as a few tunes from my favorite soundtracks, I Gotcha by Joe Tex, off of the Reservoir Dog soundtrack, and Brian Eno's Deep Blue Day, which is the beautiful piece playing in Train Spotting when Ewan McGregor's character, Mark Renton, dives into the toilet to retrieve his opium suppositories. Train Spotting was an obsession I shared with my brother, and one might say we watched it religiously. At least today, I would have a much easier time quoting that whole movie from one end to another than even half a page out of the Satanic Bible. But at that time, I was quite obsessed with both. My dear friend Martin, whom I met in high school, likes to remind me of my strategy when it came to hitting on girls during our high school years. It would consist of asking them two questions. Do you believe in God? And have you seen train spotting? My strategy didn't pay off too well. I'm sad to reveal. Though I do remember one girl, whom I never even kissed, but I did manage to get her interested in a lengthy discussion about the existence of God, which in and of itself was a victory, since technically, she could have been off dancing to the Grease Megamix instead. It was the same party where I donned my most spectacular look. A white turtleneck, a necklace with a black upside-down cross, and a completely shaved head. By the way, the shaved head was the one thing my mom explicitly didn't appreciate. Maybe because I initially showed her by waking her up one morning looking like that. Sorry, mom. Anyhow, 
Some months later, there was another high school party during which various awards were handed out. I was given that year's fashion award, and I remember being genuinely excited, thinking that perhaps everyone thought that my usual attire of rock and roll t-shirts and flannel button-ups was really cool. Only later did I realize that the other students were probably making fun of me, and that the award was a nod to that shaved-head turtleneck upside-down cross outfit. Looking back, I think it was actually quite fair to give me that award, and I'm honestly pleasantly surprised I didn't take more shit from the other students for all the satanic stuff I went on about. It was more stuff like my classmates calling me out for still wanting to celebrate Christmas and how inconsistent that was with being a Satanist. Again, fair point. Seeing as how my Satanism was the intellectual kind, it was bound to shine through in my school papers, and specifically my essays for Danish class. And oh boy, did it ever. My Danish teacher proved to be the perfect intellectual opponent in the battle against hypocritical Christianity I was about to be waging. She was an older woman, close to retirement age, and, most importantly, a former priest. I couldn't have thought of anyone better to be forced to read my essays. (laughs) 